Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer, and welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can learn more about us on our website, workerbeing.com, or on social media, or you could support our community. You can find more details at workerbeing.com slash community. So today we're going to be talking about resilience and resilience is a topic that we've talked about a little bit because it's one of the four pillars of psychological capital. But today we're going to be taking a deep dive into resilience on its own. Um, And so I have a quick question before we get started about resilience. And I'm kind of curious because I was thinking about this for myself too, but I'm curious, Patricia, if you can think of a time when you really feel like you faced a challenge that you were able to c- overcome and you demonstrated some resilience in the situation. So like if you think of like a resilient time for yourself, what sort of comes to mind first? Hmm. I know it's hard. That, yeah, that's a that's a deep question. It's intense. <laughs> I'm getting into it. Um, let me think. Oh, goodness. I'm like trying to think of examples that are recent and maybe work related. Um, You can hmm. think of any example you'd like. Yeah. (laughs) Well, coming in hot with the hard questions. I know. I was going to say, well, a funny current example that is not really that good, but uh, probably people maybe could tell that have listened to us before that I have a bit of a cold and Danny and I were in Iceland uh, on an awesome vacation recently and uh, he got a cold super early on and then I got a little bit later and we like you know like sometimes when you're not feeling well you just like want to lay down do nothing we're like no we're not gonna let this ruin the trip we're gonna power through it all (laughs) Um, so uh there is some resilience there but that's not really a good example but I think it um, is it is a little bit of a good example based on what I'm gonna tell you but anyway proceed it actually is a good example huh well there's some sneak previews Mm -hmm. for what we're gonna takeaway is gonna be but I think from like a work-related perspective um I had a client once that was very difficult Um, they, how do I put, like for people that are, have consulted before, they might not understand this experience. They wanted us to present about data that basically didn't exist. Like they didn't have (laughs) the data. They don't want to provide, they couldn't provide the data. Even if they could, they wouldn't be able to. They literally had no data on this topic, but they wanted to understand how what we were doing was impacting this metric that didn't exist. Um, so that was obviously a challenge because it was kind of like the contract was on the line. Uh, and so it, I just didn't really know how to get around it. So like I had to try all these different avenues. It actually makes me think of psychological capital because it's like, okay, the goal is to retain this client and to make them happy. And all of a sudden, like there's this random obstacle that makes no sense. And I had to think through like all these different ways, these different pathways of how to get around it and test them Mm. out until we found one that worked. So in the end we did retain this client. Um, but it was after like all, I mean, I had so many meetings with them, like trying out like different avenues and different ways of analyzing the data that we did have to try to get to where we needed to go. And like, I want to say we had like four different attempts of convincing them that what we're doing was actually impacting the metrics they cared about. Um, and it was not until like the fourth attempt that they were like, Oh yeah, that sounds good. I was like, Oh, <laughs> finally <laughs> you did it. But you had four attempts. Like you really tried to get to that place. 
Yes, there was a lot of effort um, put into it. Luckily, I had an awesome team behind me to help. Um, and, you know, another thing that worked um, was at one point I was like maybe making an ally on the other side that understands that the request is a little bit bad um, might help too. And that did actually help is like trying to find someone over there that was like, you know, I think what we're asking you to do doesn't make sense um, because then they were like, my secret advocate in the meetings too to help. Hmm. So it was a little sneaky, but it worked. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, it sounds like everybody was demonstrating a little bit of resilience in this uh, case in terms of how you were going about problem solving something that sounds kind of thorny. So, um, so yeah, it sounds like there was also some like collective resiliency going on, which the article does mention is a thing, although I'm not going to get into that. Hmm. Um, yeah. What about you? Do you have an example? My, yeah. Mine is just like um, something that came to mind that is like one of those moments where it actually is not super like it wasn't like a turning point or anything, but it was just a time where I felt really like unsure of how I was going to like continue moving forward. And I figured out a way to do it. So similar to your example, like um, I took a class with a professor who was really, 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 really interpersonally challenging and for reasons that are beyond the scope of this conversation was interpersonally challenging towards like me and one other person in the class in particular um, for reasons that were outside of our control. So anyway, this person just didn't like us. Like that was the point blank and they weren't going to like us. Mm. Um, And so uh, we had to figure out a way to navigate that situation because it got kind of hostile at times and aggressive and um, it sort of culminated in me giving a presentation and in the middle of the presentation, she basically said that the class was going to be dismissed because my presentation was so incredibly horrible that no one should be forced to listen to it anymore and (laughs) that we all should just leave. Um, That class was over and I was so upset. I've never had something like that happen to me before and I was really upset around, you know, well, what did I do? But I also was sensing that there was something else going on because, you know, it didn't seem like the content of the presentation was that far off from what could have been acceptable in the class. So anyway, I ended up sending her an email on the side and saying, you know, I just wanted to reach out because I know things got a little heated in class uh, today. And I want to say that I appreciate um, the opportunity to present my work in front of a variety of audiences that will have varied levels of receptivity to these ideas. And so while I wish that, you know, you, I was better able to communicate my ideas in a way that would get you on board with what I was doing. um, I do appreciate the experience of being able to present in front of audiences that are going to be really critical of this work. And so I just wanted to reach out to say, you know, I'll continue to try to get better and hopefully next time around, uh, you know, I'm able to communicate my ideas in a way that is going to land better with you. But I also want to say that this is a valuable experience. And for whatever reason, she just wrote back and was like, you are amazing. Like you are going, <laughs> you are, you are going to be a star. And I was like, oh, like all of a sudden it like completely switched around. And I don't know what was going on with, I mean, there was a whole other thing going on there in that mm-hmm. situation with her. But like, um, But it was really like a moment where I was like, I can either just like sit in class and never talk again and just 
not be present and just sort of succumb to the fact that this is how it's going to be. Or I can try a different angle and say, well, what did I learn from the situation? And let me communicate that to her that I am trying to get something out of the experience. And hopefully that will help us to sort of mend the relationship moving forward. So anyway, that was mine. We both had experiences with like clients or faculty or like somebody who had an external expectation for us that we were trying to reach where we hit a challenge. So I think it's interesting that both our examples had that component. Yeah, that is interesting. And I pretty sure I remember that story that what you're yeah. talking about. <laughs> and I'm sorry that you had experienced that because that's also just really unfair from in that context, right? Like clients are paying you. You expect them sometimes to be difficult. It's not really fair from a student's perspective, right? Yeah. I was just trying to learn. Um, but <laughs> in, in any event, so those are some examples of resilience. We actually both used examples that had the same type of resilience that I'm going to talk about. Um, so I think that that's kind of interesting. So I'm going to basically have three takeaways for today. And I hope that they're pretty um, straightforward. But I found them really interesting because even as a person that has studied and talked about resilience as both of us have, and we talk about quite a bit, I had never um, seen sort of the uh, all of the articles that have been written on resilience reviewed in one place before as this new piece did, which I'm drawing on. Um, so they basically looked at hundreds of articles on resilience and tried to basically categorize those according to how they conceptualize resilience, but also sort of take a look at how is resilience built and what are sort of the main ways that you can sort of grow your resilience based on the literature. So that's where I'm going to focus. But um, just something that I thought was interesting before we kick into the takeaways is that um, in 19, in the 1980s to 1990s, there were less than 25 articles per year being published across disciplines um, on resilience Starting in like 2009, that started to grow to a little over 25. By 2010, it was between 50 and 75. By 2014, there were over 150 articles. By 2016, oh, wow. there were over 200 articles. By 2018, there were between 250 and 275 articles. And in the last year, there were almost 350 articles published. So, oh my gosh. Yes. So there are there is a huge interest in resilience. Um and so I think a big question that's coming out of all of this research, and so basically the purpose of this of this work is to say across these hundreds of articles and as people are getting more and more interested in the topic, we need to kind of take stock of what we know about how people, we know resilience is a good thing, but um, how can people kind of build resilience and what are the ways in which people sort of um, uh, make themselves able to bounce back? Um, so anyway, that's kind of the framing. And um, resilience is basically the idea that you can achieve positive outcomes despite um, the presence of challenges. So that's the basic idea, although it's defined in a bunch of different ways. Um, that's the underlying kind of commonality. So here, so now we kind of know resilience is a hot topic. That's a sort of working definition. And now I'm going to tell you the three takeaways. Okay. So takeaway one is that you can build resilience over time as part of the history of your life course. So some mm. resilience can be built over time as part of the history of your life course. The second takeaway is going to be that some resilience can be built proactively 
so that you're actually putting efforts into building resilience with the idea in mind that you may face challenges and you want to create like stores of those resources. And the third is that some resilience can be formed reactively and in the moment in a more short-term fashion, which is actually where both of our examples fell. Interesting. Well, I'm going to be curious to hear more about all three of these. Um, They seem fairly straightforward, but maybe a little bit of context would be helpful as we dive into it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with the first one, which is called developmental resilience. And developmental resilience is the type of resilience that you form when over time you're able to functionally develop through periods of your life where you're trying to like grow and change. So childhood, adolescence, early adulthood, um, developmental resilience is the kind of resilience that you sort of have historically built up because of challenges that you faced in the past. Um, and so if you've had a lot more challenges in your life, um, and they mentioned some that are risk factors, like, um, you know, things that we can think about as societal issues, like experiencing hunger or homelessness or abuse, or, uh, even just like negative, uh, relationships. So you haven't, you have had, um, non-supportive relationships or, um, you've lost a lot of family members over time or drug addiction, um, in your family, those kind of chronic stressors that happen in the developmental process as you're sort of learning and growing as a person can actually help you to build resilience that you can then deploy, um, later on in life and specifically on the job. So while we wish that people would not have to go through these experiences, there is something to be said for what those experiences do on the back end for creating a more resilient person in the workplace. I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm just thinking about like examples in my own life of people that have, you know, I've been very lucky in my life where I haven't had a lot of challenges growing up, you know, like nothing super traumatic or painful, like the things that you've described. And I always look at people that have had that and I'm like, how have they survived? How are they yeah. so strong? And how are they getting through all this stuff? And, you know, when another annoying, even like just an annoying thing that happens in life that kind of derails you a bit, like they're just like, boop, I'm fine, like moving through it. And I'm like, what the heck is wrong with these people? How are they so much better <laughs> yeah. at this than me? Yeah. But that's why, right? They're way better at it because they've had that need to be better at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that something that's interesting about it is, you know, you think about sort of the extreme ends where uh, folks really haven't had a lot of challenges or, or minimal challenges. And then there are folks who, you know, it's a miracle that they're still standing. Right. And then there's like everything in between. So it's, you know, relative to um, your own experiences in terms of like what you consider a challenge as well. So um, if something felt really challenging to you, but it might not have felt challenging happening to someone else, you can still develop resilience from that. There are certain things like the ones that I mentioned where almost every person or every person experiences those as a challenge. But there are other things that you might say, you know, I really, uh, I, I struggled in school, right? And maybe that was something that really bothered you and you worked hard to overcome that. But other folks might say, well, I struggled in school and I just didn't care that much about school. So I didn't try to work to get better at it. Right. So there are certain things that might register as a challenge to some folks, not to others, um, that can help build that resilience too. Um, and so it's really more about these like chronic stressors that sort of characterize your life as you're learning and growing over time. Um, and 
There's also, uh, you know, not a ton of research on this within the organizational literature. So as you might imagine, like developmental psychologists are really the people that have been talking about this. So from the extent to which we understand how people develop resilience at work, we actually don't know a lot about that. Um, so what counts as adversity at work or what, or, you know, what phases of the career life cycle are people developing where they might be able to experience those sorts of things. But based on what we know with regard to how people sort of form these resiliencies over life, we might expect that as people's careers develop and they go through challenges and hardships that they might reach a time period where they're like more mature in their career, but they've built up these resiliencies over the course of time. That's a question that organization research hasn't answered yet, but based on what we know from developmental psych, it seems feasible that that might be the case. I could see that. I can imagine like someone that's been part of organizations that have a lot of change or has experienced like layoffs. I think Mm -hmm. there are people that like have experienced one layoff and it's like very hard and you know, they may not bounce back, but the people that have experienced like four of them, like just bounce back way faster. Right. And are like a little more positive about it, at least in my, again, anecdotal Mm -hmm. experiences of the thing people that I know the people that have gone through a lot of those you know aggressive changes at work or layoffs or things that are really difficult later on their career they do seem to be kind of like they go with the flow the changes don't matter as much they're kind of able to shift and change and mold a little bit better than people that maybe have had like a much cleaner career trajectory if you will yeah. Yeah, definitely. And they, they talk about that actually, um, in entrepreneurs, which is kind of interesting that, um, entrepreneurs who encounter kind of challenges in childhood or who even watch their parents face challenges in business tend to develop into more resilient and successful entrepreneurs. So there's this sense of like, you know, you can apply what you've learned to business, but there's also this idea of like, is there like vicarious experience? Like, do I have to experience it directly or can I watch someone in formative years actually do that? So there are some business applications of this to your point where, uh, these developmental experiences actually do have business outcomes, but they've really looked at it in a very limited way. Um, and, and one of the things or the reason why they think that these resiliencies sort of accumulate over time isn't just that you've had a tough experience, but it's that you develop resources that help you to be able to cope with tough experiences. And you basically start to learn that these are learning experiences. So you sort of gather these resources that help you get through the time period that you're getting through. Then you kind of reflect back on what that time period was like and use those lessons to apply going forward. And then you kind of get in the habit of doing that. So they basically argue that people in the workplace who have been through tough times or have even watched other people go through tough times, maybe um, develop this like capacity for learning from challenges and then applying those learnings moving forward. So just like what you were saying in your example relates to that because it's sort of this capacity to see challenges as learning opportunities and then applying those learnings to other challenges. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'll be curious to see where this literature goes in the future, but I guess for now, is there anything that you'd recommend people do in, in regards to this takeaway or is it more just like an FYI? Yeah, so I think that because we're really not sure about how these things accumulate in your career 
like life cycle phases, but we think that it's probably the case that they do accumulate in similar ways that they would have like accumulating over childhood or adolescence. Like your career has phases too. So um, I would say that taking sort of a leap that, hey, it's probably the case that if I'm experiencing these continued stressors at work that and I'm overcoming them, that there is something for me to build up from a resource perspective. So being actually cognizant of and thinking through like, well, what did I learn from that? And how can I make sure that every time I get through a challenge and I'm sort of moving on that I don't leave that challenge in the past and just think, okay, well, that's done, but rather go back and think, okay, well, what specifically did I do? What can I learn? How can I um, move forward from this in a better way? So I would say being really conscious about growing that learning capacity, because that's what they think helps people in their lives to grow these resiliencies. And it seems like that could be the case at work too. That makes sense. And it's also like, maybe we don't have to um, be so... I don't know. It's like almost like seeing a positive in the challenge, right? Yeah. Like that if you think about, okay, well, I'm growing and I'm learning from this, then maybe that also can be just a positive for your wellness and your perspective at that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be like, actually, this was great. Like, I'm so happy I went through this challenge, but it could be like, you know, this is really bad. I wish this didn't happen. But the silver lining is that I learned X from that. And so next time I encounter a challenge, I'm going to make a mental note that doing this actually worked or helped. Um, So yeah, so that's one. So if you've had a little bit of a rough road, either in your life or in your career, you may have already done this. And if you feel like you're currently in a rough path, then kind of taking mental notes about what you're learning could help you to build those resiliencies. Um, So Moving on to the second one, which is called proactive resilience. Proactive resilience is the idea that you're able to anticipate that you might go through challenging times in the future and that you're going to try to grow your resilience in the present so that when you do face those challenges, you're able to have like this store of resources to use. And some people call this resilience potential. So you can think about it as sort of thinking about your resilience as a bank and you're doing things to sort of grow your bank of resilience, you haven't hit the challenge yet, but you think you might soon. And so you're sort of growing that resilience so that when you get to that challenge, even if you have to drain the bank, you have enough there so you're not going into the red. Got it. Okay. So it's like, I'm trying to think of another analogy, but the bank makes sense to me. <laughs> but like you've, you've kind of gained all of these resources. So how do you gain these resources? Yeah. So... Some are uh, sort of proactive behaviors to avoid threatening situations. Um, So you're basically saying like, I'm going to need to minimize my threat now to get ready for sort of the big challenge. So I would consider this kind of like picking your battles, right? Like Mm. I see on the horizon that something might be happening that's really challenging. So I'm going to minimize other conflicts or other challenges. Like maybe at this point I don't take on this like, huge other project that someone asks me to do because I'm trying to actually keep my stores like very high so that when I hit that challenge, I'm not already depleted. So the idea of um, engaging in these proactive behaviors that help you to protect resources and avoid further threat when you know a bigger threat is coming. So that's one thing that 
um, they discussed here is, um, you know, trying to actually put yourself in a more positive position when those um, challenges hit the fan. Okay, that makes sense. So it's like making sure that you're prepared for those bigger, bigger challenges instead of just those little ones. Yeah. And so they talked about that from like an individual perspective, like, you know, look, if someone's going to ask you to work on a project with somebody who really drains you, or if someone's going to ask you to try a brand new thing that you've never done before that you would find really stressful, maybe this isn't the time to do that because you know that this other thing is going to be coming up soon. And so sort of being conscious or cognizant of not overloading yourself with either like personally or psychologically or task-wise training things when you're trying to sort of like it's kind of like going into hibernation for the winter for a bear it's like you're like trying to build up as much food stores as you can so if someone's like hey bear like do you want to run a marathon before you go into hibernation they're like no (laughs) that's counterintuitive to what I'm doing because I'm trying to like build up my stores not deplete them right so it's kind of like that so um so They also talk about this from a collective perspective that you can actually resiliently design systems. Um, And so the idea of this is to basically manage risks and vulnerabilities. So they didn't go too far into it, but what they basically said was that you can also design teams or organizations so that let's say something goes wrong you have a plan for actually like tackling those challenges or you have like a sub in person. So like, Hey, if this person's depleted of resources, we add this extra resource that we've built up. We've trained this other person to take their place. Or, um, we understand that there's like a possibility that things could get disrupted in our systems. So we're building a solution for that now so that when that happens, we can tap into the resource that we need. So the idea is sort of about being pre pre-planning um, different uh, sort of fallbacks or plan B's or safeguards to help keep you going in the interim. Okay. Yeah. I think that makes sense. So um, I'm just thinking like through an example at work. So like you were saying, if there's like a tough project coming up, so it's almost like you have to prioritize what's going to be the hardest, but still has to get done and make sure you have, everything you need to get through that. And so if you've got like, I'm just thinking like you have a lot of projects coming up and you have this one big one that you know is going to be a bit of a beast. Mm -hmm. You then think through like, how can you distribute that work for the other stuff? Or how can you, um, you know, order it in a way that by the time you get to the big beast project, you're not feeling depleted. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And at the collective level, maybe you would say, well, we might hit a challenge where some of our resources are zapped. So let's make sure there are multiple people on the team that know how to do this so that if one person's not able, another person can kick in or whatever. So it's sort of making those plans in that way. Um, They also talked a bit about um, sort of uh, training to develop resources that can help you to serve as sort of those like additional things that will help you. So like, let's say you know that you're going to need to lean on your teammates and social support would be helpful. 
part of developing that resilience proactively might be like building strong relationships with other employees so that when you hit a challenge where you're going to need to lean on your teammates or your supervisor, whoever, that those relationships then serve as resources that help get you through. So whatever resources you might need to tackle the challenge, proactive resilience is actually helping you to cultivate those resources and hold on to them until you need to deploy them in the face of whatever you're tackling. Okay. So, um, I think we kind of talked through different things people can do, but yeah. is there anything else that they should do in terms of this proactive resilience? Yeah, I would just say anticipate challenges is the number one thing. So you can't do any of this unless you're thinking about and scanning the environment and keeping track of what challenges might be. And once you identify those challenges, really thinking about what resources you're going to need when you might get to those challenges and try to turn things down that are going to deplete those resources or try to build up in places where you still have a need for those resources and you haven't built them to the extent that you could. So really anticipating the challenges, anticipating what resources you'll need, protecting those resources or building those resources. All of that is proactive. Well, that makes sense. I think that's a good tip and good thing to think about because it's not something that I've ever actively thought about before either. So I will be doing that or trying to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I haven't done that before either. And I thought it was super interesting. Um, the last one was both of our examples that we brought up, which is called reactive resilience. And this is a lot of the research actually, um, is around reactive resilience, which is in relation to a single event that you did not anticipate. And this is a short term, more like one time based perspective where you are able to grow your ability to be able to react in the moment with resilience. So usually something happens, it's severe, unexpected, it's pretty acute, and you get stressed from it. Um, and as you're going through that stressful time period, you're trying to figure out in the moment how you can respond to the situation and avoid completely burning out or failing in the process. Um, and so in this instance, you're not really, you haven't built these resources over time. You haven't proactively, um, you know, tried to create those resources with regard to a specific challenge. You're really caught off guard, right? And this is the idea of sort of being able to be resilient in an adaptable way. So the more you're sort of able to navigate through adversity in response to unexpected hard times, because sometimes we can't anticipate everything, the quicker you'll be at doing that the next time around. So again, it's not the case that we're saying like put yourself in tough situations and be able to build up this sort of reactive resilience because you don't want to face challenges. Like it is draining to face the challenges. But the idea is that if you're in a job, let's say, where you're constantly facing like these fires that pop up and they're completely unexpectable, you're uh, unexpectable, unexpected. <laughs> Good word. Uh, yeah. Unexpectable. Um, you were not expecting them. Um, if you're in an environment like that, then you may be a person that ends up over time building up more of this ability to be reactively resilient um, in the short term. So it's not necessarily that you have these great stores that you're able to tackle these great challenges with like forethought or that you just have this like muscle of dealing with these big challenges from childhood or something, but it's rather that you're able to deal with like temporary disruptions, right? So it's a different kind of act that you're comfortable responding to. And it's a different like type of resilience because it's short term and in the moment, if that makes sense. So this is a random question, but 
do you think that our examples were based in that because that's how most people think of resilience or because of the way you yeah. wrote the question? Yeah, I don't know. Um, that's a very good question, actually, um, <laughs> because I said a time when you were resilient. So that probably does um, have something to do with thinking about like an event, right? Um, so the event-based piece of it is really around and not, again, it's not, um, that other things aren't events, but it's like the developmental resilience is really this accumulated, like I am a resilient person. Um, and that's part of what you've like grown over time. So like these like huge life hurdles you're able to tackle, like ongoing chronic stressors. Right. Um, the proactive piece is like, I'm able to anticipate these challenges. This is like, I'm good on the fly if things crop up and I'm able yeah. to like, you know, um, and so in our situations, it was kind of like that, like the client's unhappy. Okay. What can I do about that? And in the moment I'm able to respond in a way that's actually, um, effective. And, and also we are familiar with the resilience research and they did mention that a lot of that research focuses on sort of event-based, especially in the organizational literature, event-based resilience. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense actually. Um, Cause you're right. Like we haven't really studied the developmental side as much. So it's either we are programmed to it because of the research that we know, or I do wonder if like people just generally think about resilience kind of as a response to specific challenges versus this like ongoing thing yeah. that the developmental piece is about. Yeah, definitely. And so, so this is sort of a more commonplace uh, conceptualization and probably something that people can think of examples from, um, because it's also, um, you know, very easy, I think, uh, compared to other forms of resilience to think about times when you've been disrupted by something and have to respond. Um, so there are a few things that people can do here. One is to reduce the impact caused by the event. Um, so actually just like try to minimize or absorb the impact of the event. Um, and so, um, taking action to say, okay, this happened. There's been some damage done. What can we do in order to sort of minimize that damage? And one way to do that is by thinking about regaining your functionality. So, okay, this happened. Um, what, what can we do? Should we collaborate and come up with an idea? Should we try to, um, create something new? Should we, um, work to, basically put together like a plan to monitor the environment for more disruptions. Like what's the best thing that we need to be doing? So the idea is that you're like quickly responding in a way that says, how do we get ourselves back to stasis or how do we overcome this? And that's sort of a muscle that you can build. So it's sort of directly addressing it and then saying, okay, how do we regain our functionality? Um, and there's also, uh, you know, some indirect ways. Um, so, you know, Adversity is really related to negative emotions and impaired health. So taking care of those things can also be an indirect way of helping you to be more resilient because you're not addressing the problem at the root, but you're saying, okay, well, I was really burnt out from last time. So I'm going to take some time to decrease my burnout so that at least next time when I hit one of these events, I'm not starting from a depleted place. So in terms of these events and being prepared for this, like on the fly stuff, um, being able to get in the habit of quickly responding to those things and thinking about like, what is my reaction and being more conscious about that. But then also if you're not great at that, or even if the last time around it depleted you taking care of and bringing yourself out of that burnout phase or negative health phase can just help to prepare you to face another event better moving forward. So kind of moving from that reactive to proactive a bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. 
So those are the three um, areas. Uh, so hopefully this was helpful. Um, I think that I didn't really think about resilience in these three ways. And it's kind of cool to think about, well, what types do you have more or less of? What do you practice more or less of? Um, and then how can you be more conscious about thinking about the forms of resilience that you have or growing the forms of resilience um, in a more um, you know, thoughtful way if you want to become more resilient in the face of challenges? Yeah, completely. I think it's really an interesting topic. And it's good for people to know that there's ways to develop resilience, get better at it, and to really set yourself up on the proactive side. I think that's probably, for me at least, the best takeaway because I think that I always think, oh, I'm pretty resilient. Like I can bounce back from things. But I don't know if I build up like my resources around it that well mm -hmm. um, because I do feel like I sometimes get into these depleted places, right, when I've had a bounce back. So maybe there's something I could be doing from that perspective and it's not something I've thought about. So this is super helpful for me personally too. Yeah, I'm glad. And I'll just say one more thing. Um, and that is that what I found really helpful about this article as a, as just like a final takeaway or final thought is that I think a lot of times people look at individuals who have not had linear trajectories getting to their job or getting to onto their career path or even in educational pathways or whatever and they see that as a deficiency like oh you didn't have a plan or a straightforward path or like you didn't go to x school or you didn't have this degree or whatever or, like you know and those experiences could be stemming from something that actually has helped folks to build up uh, resilience over time because their nonlinear path may also be related to challenges that they faced. Um, and so they're able to build up that resilience um, in a way that maybe other folks had not. Um, and so I think that's important to recognize is that we often look at, look for a linear trajectory, but nonlinearity could actually be something useful for finding resilient people. And on the flip side of that, I also think like, especially with generational differences, people are like, I used to do this. And like, I, everything was harder for me and it's so easy for this generation. Yeah. Like maybe you build up some developmental resilience. I mean, I would argue that that's maybe not even the case, but like, even if that is true, right. Um, but that doesn't mean actually that there aren't other forms of resilience that you can learn from people in the workplace that haven't had, um, those experiences. So I just wanted to call those two things out. Cause I think I hear that a lot in the workplace and I think this speaks to it. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because like the first point that you made around, the nonlinear career paths, like one, I always find when you're bringing in people that have those kinds of career paths, there's always some interesting uniqueness to their background that actually brings a lot of creativity and what have you into the workplace, right? Like so from a diversity perspective, yeah. but I also think that's a really great point that if you're like a very high change organization, if you're leading a team that there's a lot of chaos, um, it might be worth thinking about that when you're looking at your candidates like understanding why their paths weren't linear might help you get some insight as to their resilience and what's going on so um I think that's a really good good call out so that we're not bringing in bias around linear career paths um and recognizing that there's probably value to those other types of more resiliency needing that's not really a good word, but a, <laughs> I like um, it. a path that needs more resilience may actually be a benefit too. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that all aligns with what the article says and about uh, sort of the new frontiers of resilience research. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing. This is super interesting. 
And thanks to all of you for listening. Um, Again, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback or want to share your stories, you can email us at contact at workerbeing.com. You can find us on our website, workerbeing.com, and on social media at workerbeing. Plus, again, you should check out our community if you want to support us um, and learn from the group of people that we chat with every week um, at workerbeing.com slash community. Thanks for listening. Thriving at Work is hosted by us, Dr. Patricia Grabarek and Dr. Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Thank you.